If you're visiting with us, we're in the book of James, and uh, we've just uh, slowed down considerably, just because I, personally, I've never really thought uh, this closely about what James is saying in chapter 1, and so today we're going to just spend our uh, time on one particular passage. If you've got your Bibles, take them and turn them uh, in them to the book of James, and in a moment we'll read starting at verse 13. I happened to um, read a quote from Mark Twain this week, which I thought uh, was helpful as it began to shape my final thoughts. But Mark Twain uh, once wrote, The two most important days of your life are the day that you were born and the day you find out why. Now, I thought about that for a little while. I thought that's pretty sharp. But I think I can improve on Mark Twain. And so I thought, well, this is what I would say because it fits with where we're going today. The two most important days of your life are the day that you were born and the day that you were born again. And I say that because, put another way, it's better to be born twice and die once than to be born once and die twice. And so today we get to dive into a topic which... um, I just don't think we've spent a lot of time on before, and so we're going to spend a lot of time on it this morning, the topic of regeneration, and it's in the context of temptation and trials. And so James chapter 1, starting at uh, verse 13, and again reading to verse, um, first part of 19. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. So, Father, we come now to this portion of our gathering today where we get to dig a little bit into your word, the living word of God. It is an incredible word to us, and as we will find out, it's a word that actually gives life. And even now, again, as I've been thinking throughout this week and praying that maybe your word would give birth today in some heart. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking about uh, the last, last week we looked at the character of God, and I'll sum that up for us, how that fits in, but the character of God as it relates to his unchanging goodness and how that helps us with temptation. And today I want to talk about the word of God in us, which is regeneration or rebirth, and how that helps us when we face temptation. Specifically, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you, you've noticed that we've been uh, started out looking at trials that every person faces and temptations that every person faces. And trials and temptations are part of the same coin, and that coin is circumstances. And so we all face circumstances, but how we deal with those circumstances will determine whether it's a trial or a temptation in our life. And this is what James has been helping us unpack a little bit in our own lives. Trials are good things. 
they're hard things to go through, but James says, count it all joy, and you're blessed when you experience trials. Why? Because trials produce endurance, and endurance develops character, and character develops maturity, and maturity develops perfection. And at the end of trials, if we are standing at the end of trials, James tells us that we will see the crown of life from God for all of those who love him. And so trials are a good thing and are a response to circumstances. But on the other side, we can face circumstances and rather than being trials that um, mature us and bring life, they are temptations that lead to sin and ultimately lead to death. As James has told us, temptation doesn't come from God. It comes from our own desires within us. God is not to blame. He can't be tempted, and he doesn't tempt anyone with evil. Again, it comes from within us, our own desires. It doesn't come from God. But James wants us to understand, I think, something as we go through life, and that is that while God is not behind our, our temptation, and God doesn't tempt us, God has given us incredible resources through which to stand against temptation and to fight it in our lives. As I said, last week we looked at the first resource, which was the character of God, the unchanging character and nature of God, his goodness. As James says, every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. And so his argument is along the lines of that one of the more significant defenses that we can use when we face temptation is to recount the goodness of God, to trust the goodness of God to believe in the goodness of God, to put our faith in the goodness of God, that at the right time God will provide what we need, and we ought not circumvent that by pursuing our own desires in our own ways. And so James is saying this is one of the amazing things that God has done, is he gives you all these good gifts, and he's unchanging. And therefore, when temptation knocks at your door and gives you a shortcut to something, you say, no, no, my father has promised to give me that in his own time and in his own way. But as we look at it today then, James is focusing on the work of God in us. And the very thing that we need to resist temptation is new birth. We need to be born again. Because James outlines temptation in the context of our old nature. And our old nature is given to sin. Our old nature will fall every time. And so when we face temptation in our old nature, our sinful nature, it will lead to sin, which will lead to death. As he talked about the process, the, the end goal is deception, and that begins with attraction, and then with preoccupation, and then with um, uh, conception, and then subjection as we subject ourselves to sin and we die. But John says we receive a new nature from God, and it's that new nature that enables us to resist temptation. The writer, John, uh, puts it this way. He says, nobody born of God. That's regeneration. That's new birth. We're going to open that up a little bit. But he says, nobody born of God makes a practice of sinning. I hope you begin to see what James is doing here. If you're born of God, you will not make a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he is born of God. This is just revolutionary when we think about it in the context of temptation and sin. Here are James's own words in verse 18. Of his own will, speaking of God, he brought us forth. He, 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 he gave birth to us. It's the exact same word that's used in verse 15 of chapter 1 where he says where sin gives birth to death. So sin gives birth to death. 
God gives birth to life. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. And so what James is saying is, listen, if you're going to resist temptation, you can't do it in your old nature. You need a new nature. And that new nature is given to you by the will of God who gives birth to a new creature inside of you. And so when you look at verses 13 to, uh, to, to 16 of James, he's describing our, own na- our old nature. And understanding the two natures, and this will make sense as we go through it. I, I hope I'm not confusing, but we understand that we have an old nature, which is a sinful nature, our flesh, and we have a new nature that is given to us by God. It's called new birth or being born again. And this is the battle in our life. If you've not been born again, you will never resist temptation. If you have been born again, you have one of the strongest tools in order to resist temptation. Paul describes it this way. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In another place, he says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. In another place, Paul says this, If you walk by the Spirit, or if you are led by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And isn't that what he just, James just told us in, in, in verse 14? He says, But each person is tempted when he's allured and enticed by his own desire. Well, if you walk by the Spirit... You will not gratify the desires of your flesh. So this is what James is getting at. When we face temptation in our life, there is a predictable path if we face it in our old nature. But God has done something massive in us. He has recreated us. He has renewed us. We are born again. Why does this matter? What what is our life before we're born again? Well, the Bible describes it. And I'm going to give you a lot to think about today, but you got to get it in a package so that you understand the enormity of the gift that God has given to us. In, in and of ourselves, before God does anything in us, there is no good in us at all. The Bible is pretty strong about that. He says, there is no one that is righteous. There is no one that does good. In our own flesh, before God does any work in us, we are by nature opposed to God. We are, by nature, given over to a system that is against God. And in fact, another place says we're captive to the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil. And so our whole nature is one that is against God. And so you say, well, what do I do? If by nature I'm opposed to God, wholly and completely, then where does that leave me? Well, it leaves us in a spot of bother. Jeremiah puts it this way. He says, can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Now, the answer to that is no. By nature, the Ethiopian is black. And he cannot do anything to change the color of his skin. And then Jeremiah also says, well, can a leopard change his spots? Well, no, the leopard can't do that. By nature, a leopard has spots. And so the point of the Bible is, is by nature, we are sinful. By nature, 
we are opposed to God. By nature, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. And if we try and deal with temptation in our old nature, we will lose hands down every time. Because that's who we are. And so what James writes now is a game changer. It, it really is. It, it, it turns everything upside down when he talks about new birth. He, he describes this, this transformation that takes place in us. And remember, he introduced the idea of father last uh, in, in verse 17. New birth and father, they kind of go together. And so he wants to talk about our relationship with our heavenly father who begat us or who gave us birth. This is how one person describes regeneration. And there's a lots of ways to do it. He says, the concept is of God renovating the heart the core of a person's being, by implanting a new principle of desire. See, there it is. A new principle of desire, purpose, and action. A dispositional dynamic, dynamic that finds expression in a positive response to the gospel and its Christ. You see, the Bible anticipated this, the Old Testament, because it quickly became clear that in Adam we all died. We, we inherited Adam's sinful nature, that we could not keep the law, that hands down we failed every time to do what God asked us to do. And so God began to give them hope, and he began to point them ahead to what he would do in their hearts through the coming of Christ. And so, for instance, in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel talks about us receiving a heart that's soft towards God. And notice the language, the first person language here. This is God speaking. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will put within you a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of, or I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and listen to this, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See what Ezekiel is looking forward? He's looking forward to a day when we will be able to resist temptation because God has done an inward work inside of us. Jeremiah talks about a heart that's tailor-made for obedience. Where there, again, God speaks and he says, I will put my law within their hearts and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. We use this verse often to remind us of what God has done. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is the fulfillment of that. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. You see, this is, this is massive. It's significant in the life of a Christian. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul talks about it this way. He says, you need to put off the old self, which belongs to the former matter of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. There it is again. When we're taken off by our own desires, we will sin. But he says, you will be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. When we're born again, we bear the image of our Father. And remember, we, we, we have these sayings, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He's got his Father's eyes. 
He walks like his dad. They're all ways of describing the resemblance of a son and a daughter to their father. And so what James and what the Bible tells us is that when we are born anew by God, we begin to resemble him. George Whitfield, one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century, preached thousands and thousands of times, sometimes five times a day. He was responsible for great revival across Britain and into the United States. He is said to have spoken at one time to over 100,000 people without a microphone, that God had given them the ability to project his voice with incredible power and emotion. And it is said that George Whitfield spoke over 3,000 times on John 3. You need to go and read John 3, but John 3 is where Jesus describes new birth and how it happens and, and why it is necessary. And he says, I am now 50 years of age and I am more than ever convinced that the truth of new birth is a revelation from God. Without it, you cannot be saved. Why, Mr. Whitfield inquired a friend, do you so often preach you must be born again? Because, said Whitfield, you must be born again. This is what the Bible says, and this is what we need to grasp as God's children and as, as people that, that uh, interact with others. It, it's not good enough to renovate your life and become a good person. It's not good enough to give your money to good causes around the world. It's not good enough that you came from a great family. You must be born again. This is what James is talking about. And so he wants to help us see the work of God in us. So you may be pointing this together. The work of God with us, how we think about ourselves matters. So when we come now to the text here, do you see the connection between temptation and the work of God in you? If God has not renewed you, then you will lose every time to temptation. It's your old nature. It's dead to God. It, it cannot obey God. But if you've been born again, there's a new principle at work in you, and increasingly you will be able to stand in the face of temptation. See, Satan comes along and he whispers in our ears and sometimes he yells in our ears, listen, you're, you're never going to be able to resist. You know, you, you, you've fallen a hundred times and you know, you're going to fall a hundred times more and it's just your nature, Paul. And if I'm not careful, I begin to say, yeah, it is. Then I go back to the Bible and I go back to James and no, Paul, you're a new creature. You've been born again. There's a new principle of life in you. You can say no to temptation because God is your father. And this is what James wants these people to understand that because they are born again, they are born anew, they can resist temptation. This is, this is what... Um, Peter says, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago, months ago, his divine power, this is God's divine power, has granted all things to us that pertain to life and godliness. There it is. Everything we need to live in the way that God calls us to live. Through a knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we might become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. See, it's our sinful desires that lead us into trouble, but the new nature of God begins to change those desires and affections into the right objects. And so James begins to tell us then, and now we're in the text, 
the ground of that. Where, where does it come from? He says in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. I just want to reiterate again in there. That word brought us forth is the exact same word that's in verse 15, where it says that um, when then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, brings forth sin. So James is saying the exact thing. God gives birth to us by his own will. Now stay with me just a little bit. Think this through. In our first birth, your physical birth, we had no part to play in it, right? Did anybody, uh, anybody have any part to play in their first birth? I, I hope you all say no. <laughs> Not a single person here can say that, yeah, I had an influence on, on who my parents would be. I had an influence on when I would be born and where I would be born. No, the decision and the act was entirely connected with your parents. You had no role or part to play in your first birth. Scripture wants us to see that is true of our second birth as well. That we are born by the will of God. We are brought forth by the will of God. See, biblical writers are at pains to drive this home. But to all who received him, to believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of any man, but of God. Again, you're not born again because you've got influence. You're not born again because you've got money. You're not born again because you were born in the right family. You're not born again because your grandfather was born again. You're not born again because you live in Canada. You're not born again because you come to Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church. You are born again by the will of God. Peter says the same thing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. God has caused us to be born again. Paul says the same thing. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins of his trespasses. In other words, when we had no ability to respond to God, we had no life in us. He says he made us alive in Christ Jesus. God by his grace and his mercy, gave us life, made us alive. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. See, God's work is absolutely necessary. And I've already pointed, but just drive this home. Why does God need to work? Because we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. By nature, we are opposed to God. As an Ethiopian can't change the color of his skin, as a leopard can't change his spot, so we cannot change our nature. God, by an act of his creative will, and we'll see through the instrument in a minute, gives us birth. You got to go home today and read John chapter 3. You know, if, if, if I was allowed to preach for two hours, we'd spend 45 minutes on John 3. It's Jesus' explanation of new birth. He's talking to Nicodemus, a teacher of the Jewish people, one who should have known better. And he's come to him, how can one be born again? Why does one be need, need to be born again? And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. There's no way you will have eternal life. There is no way you will enter into the kingdom of God. Any other way. But through the work of God in you, giving you life. 
And what a transformation it is. Another book that I'd encourage you to read this week is um, read uh, 1 John. It doesn't take long, five chapters. John talks about being born again ten times. And that I, I just want to give you just a smidget of what he says because there's evidence that we are born again. Just as there's evidence that you're a physical life, that you've been given birth, well, there's evidence that there is new birth in you. And this is what John says is some of the evidences. Chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See the connection even with temptation again? If you are God's child, you have been born again, you will exhibit increasingly righteous behavior. A little bit farther on, he says that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. It's against our nature. Because God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. It's an impossibility. Our, our nature doesn't allow it. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Whoever loves is born of God. If your heart is full of hate... You just can't get along with anybody. You don't like anybody. There's, there's people you just cultivate hatred towards. How, how does that evidence new life in you? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. See what James is getting at again with temptation? If you're born of God, you will increasingly overcome the world and its temptations. After Augustine, Augustine was a church father back in the 13th century. After he was converted, a woman he formerly lived with called him as he walked down the street, but he didn't answer, and she persisted, and finally she sat, ran up to him and said, Augustine, Augustine, it's I! And he replied, but it's no longer I. He understood the renovation and the work that had happened in his life, and that is, in a nutshell, how we respond to temptation. When temptation comes knocking, I know you, Paul, I know you, Paul. No, it's no longer me. You see, parents and grandparents, I think this is one of the most critical things for you to grasp. Because until your child is born again, your parenting will be different. See, up until they're born again, they have an old nature. They have a sinful nature. They're born with it. They're, they're born after Adam. And they will be rebellious. They won't want to do what's right. They won't be able to do what's right. And it will be the law. Oh, but when that child is born again, they have God's seed abiding in them. And they're a new creature. That ought to be one of your most fervent and regular prayers for your children and your grandchildren. Father, give them new life. Father, give them New birth. Father, make them a new creature in Christ. Father, plant your seed in them. See, because the reality of God changes everything. Everything. Second thing. The ground of our new birth is the will of God. He speaks and we're born again. But what's the instrument? Well, he tells us what the instrument is in James there. In James, he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. You can't give birth to yourself. 
There's not a single person here that gave birth to themselves. It's the same spiritually. You can't, you can't, there's nothing you can do. But God says the instrument is the word of God. See, Romans is beautiful where Paul articulates this. He says, how can they call on him, God, in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? You see where he's getting at? He's getting at the word of God is critical. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. First Peter 1.23, since you have been born again, not of, an, not of a perishable seed, but of the imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed. The parable of the sower and the seed, what is that about? It's about Jesus who is the sower. And what is the seed? It's the word of God. And as the word of God is cast, it's planted. And, and as that seed is found good soil, it gives birth to life. We've got to grasp this again, loved ones. God's word is the agent of new birth. The word which is preached, the gospel of truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let me just risk again. You've got to saturate yourself and your family in the Word of God. If you really think that it matters that your spouse or that your children come to faith in Christ, you've got to saturate them with the Word of God. You've got to go somewhere where the Word of God is proclaimed so they hear it on a regular basis. Because that is the instrument through which they will get life. You have to talk about it in your homes. You have to talk about it when you drive. It's, it's got to be a priority in your life. It's through the word of God that we are transformed and changed. Are you exposing your spouse and your children to a steady diet of a life-giving word of truth? See, God speaks and we live. Paul makes this comparison in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where he says there that the God who said, let there be light, he spoke and there was light. It's the same God who says, let there be life. He speaks and there's life. Life comes through the word of God. There's the creative power in the word of God. That's why we can't, it's not just good enough to live a good life. At some point, you've got to tell your neighbors, you've got to tell your family, you've got to explain the gospel to them. You've got to take the word of God to them. It's through hearing the word of God that God works new life. Finally, the purpose of our new birth of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And here's that we, that's, that tells us there's, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Got to back up just a little bit to the Old Testament to understand uh, first fruits. Some of you um, probably already have this in your heads. In Leviticus, God commands the people to bring as an offering the first fruits of the crops. So in other words, when the when the, the, the grapes are beginning to ripen on the vine or when the barley is starting to just look golden, I think it's barley that looks golden, or wheat looks golden and it's swaying in the wind and it's about ready for harvest. God says, go and, go and take a sample harvest and give that to me. That's holy to me. 
it's one way of simply saying that all is God's, and so we give it to God, and that's a way that we demonstrate it. But it's also a way of saying there's a great harvest coming. You give the first fruits in anticipation of incredible harvest to come. So do you see what James says here? We are the first fruits of creation. Well, what are we the first fruits of? The new heavens and the new earth. You see, the work that God is doing in you and I, in new birth, in new life, in complete transformation, in complete renovation of our lives, is the first fruit of the incredible renovation that's going to take place when this old world is all burned up and God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Our new nature is a foretaste of the perfection that is soon to be ours. There's a sort of eschatological reality to this. We can experience the future now, John is saying. See, this is why he said, nobody who abides in him keeps on sinning. See, this is the, this is the wonderful thing to me, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. There's some days that I want to die. And I want to die because I'm tired of the battle. I'm sick of the battle. And I know that when I was first saved, the penalty of my sin was dealt with on the cross. That, that's what Jesus, he dealt with the penalty of my sin. And I know that right now, the power of sin is being broken in my life, but it's still there. But I know that the moment I die, the very presence of sin will be gone forever and ever. And that's why I say, I, I, I want that day sometimes to come. Because I so want to live in the perfection that God has promised and we are the first fruits of now, then. So he says, no one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's sin abides in him. There is coming a day, loved ones, where we will live and walk and laugh and talk and have desires that are pure and perfect all the time. Because we will perfectly reflect God. This is what James wants us to grasp as we wrestle with trials and temptations in our lives. Do you see what a perfect and good gift this is to us? Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. See, it's this experience of new life now, loved ones, that begins to enable us to deal with temptation. To be able to say, no, there's a different power in me. There's a different life in me. There's a different seed in me. That's not who I am anymore. I'm dead. I'm alive. Sometimes these aren't always the, the best illustrations, but I read this and I thought, this helps me. You see, if we respond to temptation in our old nature, we'll lose every time. But if we respond to temptation in our new nature, we will win every time. Because that's what Paul says. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We receive that old nature from Adam. Every single human being was born after Adam, our spiritual rep our representative father. A Sunday school child described it this way. Two men live in my heart. The old Adam and Jesus. When temptation knocks at the door, somebody has to answer. 
If I let Adam answer, I will sin. So I send Jesus to answer. And he always wins. Beautiful illustration of, of the two natures that work in us and how they fight in our lives. Are you a child of God? Have you been born again through the word of the living God by the Spirit? Do you want to have eternal life? Do you want to live with God forever? Then you must be born again. Cry out to God, God, make me new by your power. I've heard your word. I believe it. Make me new. Father, we pray that you might work amongst us today. I pray that for some of us, it will just be a refreshment to hear the work that you have done in us and the implications that that has for us living a holy and right life. And for others, Father, who are strangely caught off guard by this talk of a new birth and a new nature, Father, if they have heard about that today, would you do something in them that only you can do? Would you give birth to life? We ask in Jesus' great name. Amen.